We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 400. Today's show is brought to you by Untuck It. Scott, we made it to the 400 club. Congratulations. Do, do we now get into the Hall of Fame like players used to get into the Hall of Fame when they hit 400 home runs? Or or is this is podcasting now like the steroid era or the juice ball era and everyone's hitting 400 home runs and it's no longer meaningful? Yeah, because people are doing like 20-minute episodes. So if you could do a 20-minute episode and you get to 400, it's like, well, what are we doing here? It's not yeah. the same type of thing. Our episodes, almost every single one of them, and there have been many episodes that we actually don't even number. So actually, we've done more than 400. I thought we went get... back and numbered them all. Now, if you want to get technical, there's definitely more than 400. We've, oh, so we've, now uh, we could have recorded our 400th episode like three weeks ago and not even could, known it. It could have happened, but you got to celebrate. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like celebrating St. Patrick's Day. On the Saturday before St. Patrick's Day, as we are going to do in spring training, you got to do it when you when you have an opportunity to do it. So this is 400, as far as everyone else is concerned, as far as we're concerned. And yeah, no, I think it's um, some people are getting like, you know, they're getting here too easily, too quickly by recording fast episodes, quick episodes, and that's fine. So yeah, there's also yeah. like 550 thousand podcasts out there now. Like my yeah, my, my grandma just announced she has a podcast now congratulations yeah. does she need help getting into the new and noteworthy <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so we are recording Friday afternoon because I'm leaving for my honeymoon on Saturday morning. So it's a couple days in advance that we're, we're recording this. So if the world falls apart between now and Monday and we don't talk about it, you'll understand why. But if some news happens for the Yankees and there's... I'll try a, to pick up the pieces. There's a lot of arbitration news that's kind of trickling out on Friday afternoon. So we're going to sort of talk about our, our current thoughts on the arbitration stuff. But if more firm details are announced, Scott, you'll, you'll jump on and just acknowledge it and, um, you know, yeah. mention And it. at this point, just so everybody knows kind of where we are just talking about this, at this point, um, Mookie Betts just signed a record deal for uh for arbitration what was the number 27 27 million of record he has set records now two years in a row for uh the years that he specifically signed and he signed 20 million in his year two that was a year two record and now he broke nolan arenado's record in year three he signed for 27 million dollars and I, and i think that it is uh an important thing to note if you're the yankees because there's really close ties with judge and what he i think will be looking for in arbitration so I, we'll I, talk about all that. Yeah. I, I just want, I think giving a people a bar as far as where the news is so they understand what we're talking about gotcha. as with the information that we have. So and I think uh, Urshela is the only Yankee that has come out mm-hmm. so far as we're recording. Yes. Yeah. So a couple quick housekeeping items before we do dive into all of that. Um, the spring training event, March 14th, May 9th is the first regular season event against the Red Sox. People I know everyone's asking about uh, when are those going to be going up on the site. They're going to be up on the site. I'm going to hold you they're to up on it. The, they're, they're up on the site. They were up on the site. Uh, there's a, I'm having a site glitch, and I'm fixing it right now. So I'm, I'm hopeful that they'll be back up today. Today's Friday, so by the time you're listening to this, they'll definitely be up. <laughs> so you can go now on the fan shop to the game events, and you can get your tickets for May 9th against the Red Sox, Friday, June 26th against the Cubs, and Saturday, August 22nd against the Blue Jays. There is an update here. We had mentioned in the past we were going to do a July Red Sox game that is – no longer happening due to the times that MLB and the Yankees have decided that game is. It's a, a 1 o'clock in the afternoon game on the Saturday before the trade deadline. I don't know why they wouldn't put that in prime time, either 4 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the afternoon. But hey, it's going to be Saturday afternoon in the Bronx in late July. My guess on the temperature over under, Scott, 97.8 degrees. Yeah, it's going to be hot too, but like that's not the the whole part of it as well. Like we try to... A lot of the the reasons why we try to do these events, obviously they're fun. It's good to get together with everybody. That's the number one reason, this community. But we always try to give a deal for all this stuff too. And um, when you're talking about a one o'clock game on a Saturday, the Saturday is great because they were able to give us tickets. But um, it was an expensive ticket. There really wasn't much of a, a break that we could get on it. So uh, And by, one o'clock is early to get to the stadium. Plus yeah, we have couldn't a really do a pregame party beforehand. Most of the times we do have other one o'clock games. Like the, the, the Blue Jays event on the 22nd of August is a one o'clock game. And we've done one o'clock games in the past. And the pregame is just not as fun. It's just not as crowded. I mean, it's good. We're going to do breakfast beers for that one. So that one's going to be sure. very good. We're going to set up something for it. But doing... The, uh, the the one in, in July was, it was just the logistics didn't work for what we were trying to do. So we're, uh, we're going to add another game or we're looking at another game. And then also um, Saturday, June 13th is the Trenton event. That one will be up. It hasn't been up on the site yet because we're still working out some details with those guys. Um, I have cleared most of it up. I uh, actually spoke with them. Uh, I got an email from them uh, yesterday and we're going to put that one up too. So that will be up there as well. That's a June 13th, June 13th. Uh, event at the Trenton Thunder game. That's going to be a little different. It's going to be a lot of yeah, fun, a lot of interaction with the game itself. Like never been going to a double out. A game. 
Yeah. And and doing stuff like on the field. Like everybody is going to be eligible for for some of those uh, some of the games and stuff too, might, which is you cool. might pinch hit. Yeah, you might pinch hit if you if you come to that game, you might pinch hit. But we're doing like we're going to set up like a uh, a meet and greet with rookie the dog. We're going to do a big picture on the field after the game. Everybody's able to get on the field and take a big picture. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be very different than our other ones. Uh, we're going to be tailgating in the parking lot. So a lot of cool things going with that one, and the uh, the price point is going to be really nice for that one too. Other things, George's Box Season 2. I was on the first episode of Season 2. Nick Kirby was on the second episode that came out on Wednesday. Go give that a listen. And next week, JJ and Karen Veenstra, who is a writer on the website, will be doing uh, that show next Wednesday. So make sure you guys are downloading and subscribing to George's Box. Anything else? Oh, I think that's it. So the arbitration stuff we, we just mentioned. Um the Yankees had nine players who are eligible for arbitration. I'm just going to quickly run down the list and what they are estimated to get according to MLB trade rumors. Paxton is in his fourth year of arbitration. He's one of these special players that gets four years of arbitration. He's projected at $12.9 million. Tommy Canley, year three of arbitration, projected at $3 million. Gary Sanchez, first year, $5.6 million estimate. Judge, first year, $6.4 million estimate. Chad Green, first year, $1.4 million. Jordan Montgomery, first year, $1.2 million. Luis Sessa, first year, $1.1 million. Urshela, this is his first year. He ended up settling for $2.475 million, a couple hundred thousand dollars over what he was projected to get. And then Holder, first year, $800,000 estimate. And the one I really want to focus on is Judge. And we mentioned the, the Mookie Betts news of $27 million, a record arbitration deal and i i do think that if you're a judge and your judge's agent you're looking at the mookie betts deal and you're going to the yankees and saying look at what he just got we're in this same ballpark maybe not equal because betts has been more consistent than judge did you agree with that well he's been on the field too yeah. i think i mean that counts yeah it absolutely counts you have to look at the injuries so he's been more consist- consistently healthy with than Judge, but as far as val- like other measures, war, all the other statistics you can pull that these guys are pulling, and then when you factor in the face of the franchise, which factors? That's a conversation in these negotiations. The Yankees have made Judge the face of the franchise. In the first in his rookie season, they went on a road trip and came back, and they built a friggin' section for him. Which was shy, which was very surprising because the Yankees don't ever do that type of stuff. It was, uh, you know, a lot of people think it's gimmicky and all this. It was very gimmicky for the Yankees. The Yankees don't yeah. do gimmicky very very often. So that was something that was uh, that was a clear sign. Like that's when when you're looking back now and as an arbitration case, you're looking back like, damn it, why did that is that that section in right field is going to cost us millions of dollars? Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it definitely. It's a line is. in the sand saying this is what we're doing for this guy that's different than we've done it for anybody else. So yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's an, an actually a a piece of evidence that that the judges team could certainly use. But yeah, so um, Mookie Betts is that he's a right fielder in the AL East, and he's been one of the best players in baseball for for years at this point, and he is a centerpiece of a team kind of player. All of those things apply to Aaron Judge. All those, and you look at the, uh, you know, there's a rivalry here. Obviously, the Yankees and the Red Sox are big rivals. In case anybody didn't know that, but not just on the field, it's off the field. That is is, is a consideration. There are optics here. 
the the Red Sox are are you know paying their player a record deal, and when judges come into the table and you have to look back, if you look, start looking back again, by the time you guys are listening to this, these numbers are already out. So judge will on, have either settled with the we're either on or, or way off, or they're going to arbitration. Which but what we're I don't but what we're happen. looking at, yeah, yeah, and what we're looking at though is I think like right now at this point we're looking at what could be used for the arbitration case, and if you're judge. You're certainly in your judge's team. You're looking at what Mookie Betts got in that first year, and and you're trying to line up to something very close to that. Again, precedent. Talked about this a hundred times. It's very important when when you're talking about contract negotiations. We saw that with Cole and Strasburg and what happened there, and then we saw um, you know we've seen it with suspensions and contracts, and you see it with arbitration. So it's used all across uh, baseball for for their labor agreements and and for contracts and just different things like this. So. When you're talking about a number, I know um, uh, trade rumor, baseball trade rumors, MLB trade rumors has him at 6.4, but Mookie Betts got what? What would we say? 10, 10 and 10. a half, 10 and a half year one, 20 year two, and now 27 year three. So he's got, uh, what is that? Do some quick math. 47, I just, it, 57 and a half million dollars in his three years of arbitration. Yeah, it's a lot, but we'll look at, look at year one and you know, there's a, a $4 million difference there between the projected and what Mookie Betts got. So I got to believe that gap's going to be much closer and, and they're going to use that 10.5 and you know, maybe it's not going to be over 10.5. Maybe it will be, but maybe it won't be because of the considerations of health and things like that. But I think it's going to be damn close. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be very close to $10 million in year yeah. one, which then yeah. sets up judge for $20 million in year two. And oh, then, yeah. and then, Potentially thirty million dollars in year three. If he, Honestly, if he this is to working produce. out beautifully. The fact that Mookie Betts is, is is blazing this trail, and how close their situations are, and the fact that they are rivalries, it's actually it's so good for for Aaron Judge um, to have a guy like that blazing the trail because you know it's it's pretty much a clear case of one to one. And on, it's also on what we're looking at it's also if you're rooting for an Aaron Judge contract extension and bought out years of arbitration, it's good that Mookie Betts is going through this now because the Yankees are looking and saying, wow, the Red Sox just paid $57.5 million for three years of arbitration and then might not even get to sign him long-term because there's talks that the the Red Sox are not going to be able to sign Mookie Betts for one reason or another. Are the Yankees going to want to pay 50 to $60 million to judge for three years of arbitration only to have to then pay him when he hits free agency? No. Well, I mean, it depends on uh, you got to have willing participants in order to sign those extensions. But judges seeing what's happening here, and he, he's realizing that there's a lot of money to be made on a yearly basis. Problem with him, though, and I could definitely see this happening if I'm Aaron Judge and his team. Um, you got to consider the fact that you could get injured. Got to if you're on that side, you have to be looking at also the option to be safer rather than going for you know the max max dollars and and being that guy who turns out every single year for arbitration and gets that. That bigger contract. If you're a, if you have an opportunity to to lock in guaranteed money for over the years, and we've seen that now with a lot of these guys. But when you're talking about a superstar guy like this, and a guy that's been prone to some injuries, well, if I'm him, I'm really considering, uh, you know, coming to the negotiation table and, and talking to the Yankees about a multi-year extension and really getting something locked in. Because to me, it's it's it seems like, and I know there's more potential for Judge to be made money to be made on his end. If he performs and stays healthy, it is. I think the onus is on him to make more money, uh, and he would. But again, there's no failsafe for him getting injured because that's a very good, very real possibility for him. If I had to guess, the if there will be a contract extension, I think it'll happen before year two of arbitration. 
Because year one, if he makes around $10 million, that's still a bargain for Aaron Judge. Yeah. So the Yankees are saying to themselves, okay, yes, he's making more than he was the year before, but $10 million for an Aaron Judge caliber player is still a deal. And we are going to see where he is health-wise after next season. And if we need to, if he stays healthy and produces, then he will get $20 million in arbitration year two. Then it becomes, okay, that's a lot AAV. That's what he's going to get on a long-term basis, AAV, you know, a little bit more than that. So now it makes sense to buy out the years, give him an extension that maybe he takes a little bit less. We have to give a little bit more. And you meet in the middle somewhere on that long-term extension. I think year two is when it happens, if if it does happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like that's a a good area. To, I mean, I could see I could see the other side of this now too. If I'm Aaron Judge, and that is the route that I think I'm going to be taking, and who knows? There's a lot of considerations in this. You could you could feasibly and, and theoretically walk into a, a negotiation in your first year of arbitration, and say, Hey, I know you're getting a deal this, this right now, but if I'm paid more now. Then you're also gonna uh, you're you're going to still make out on the back end of this contract and in further years. So if we start looking at, you know, if I'm him, I, you know, I may I may start looking at what what Betts is getting right now and use that as a point of negotiation for what can what can happen, um, you know, for a longer term contract, and and know that twenty is going to be uh, the bar for year two, twenty seven is the bar for year three, assuming it doesn't go up by then. And now you have leverage, I think, to actually go in and say, well, you know, $10 million right now, you're getting a bargain. Let's go to the table and look at five, six years, and, and maybe we could find something that's good for both of us. Because now Aaron Judge would get that money sooner, and the Yankees would probably get a much bigger bargain on the back end. Yeah, and I think that the Red Sox, there's been rumors that they're looking to offload Mookie Betts and David Price. I think this makes it harder now. The, oh, his number? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of teams would probably take it, you know, and, and take it on because it's a short-term I think contract. you have to have some assurance that you're going to be able to sign them long-term because you're going to be giving up players. Yeah, that's well, that's the thing. It's going to be very difficult for the Red Sox to not that's what I mean. a salary dump. That's yeah. what I mean, yeah. Yeah, because you're not going to give up very many players. It's no. going to be, it would be a, uh, you know, it would it would be a deal that, that would be similar to um, Giancarlo Stanton in the sense that you're not giving, you're, you're, it's all money. It's all about the money not about the prospects because there's no certainty. And in Stanton's case, it was a longer-term contract than it was just a, a ton of money uh, over a long period of time, so the Yankees were eating all of that. Um, whereas it's a similar risk in the sense that if you're a team and you can't pay that, you're still gonna, you're losing the player. So you're not going to give up assets. In both cases, you're not going to give up many assets. Yeah, the uh, I've also seen, though, that the Red Sox are trying to pair price with bets in a salary dump. Yeah, that's interesting. We'll see what happens, man. That would be talk about optics. That's a bad, bad optics right there. You get rid of the. If he the, doesn't the want guy. to sign though. If Betts doesn't want to sign in Boston, get something for him. From a business yeah. perspective, and a non-emotional perspective, I get it. Because if he's just going to walk, you're going to offer him the qualifying offer. He's going to reject it, and you get a draft pick. Yep. Is the draft pick more valuable than salary relief plus a mid-level prospect? I don't know. Yeah, no, probably not though. Depending on where you're, I mean, you're going to be picking in an area where you're not going to get one of the top guys. So yeah, it's it's probably not going to be. We'll see. Thing is, when you're looking at uh, a team like that, that's going to lose uh, a potential um, superstar like Mookie Betts, you have another team that's in a similar position with Lindor, and now you're there's only certain teams that can actually absorb a guy like that and bring on that type of contract and that type of risk. 
And now you're looking around at one to two, one team. You're looking at the Dodgers and you're saying, hey, guys, <laughs> the Angels can, might get dumb. I feel Dodgers, like that's can, a, that's can you guys come move. back and, and bail us out again, please? Can you help us out? Again? Well, they might. They didn't get any free agents. Yeah, there's a there's a very real possibility that that happens again. It's going to piss me off. <laughs> so World Series confirmed because the Yankees signed Chris Iannetta to a minor league deal as catcher depth. He is he is a veteran that you've probably heard his name a million times. He had some productive years 2008 to 2014, but his last two seasons with Colorado, he's been thoroughly below average. So now this is two backup catchers, two veteran catcher pieces with Kratz and Ionetta that they've signed. Do you see one of those guys taking the backup job over Higgy? Or is this purely insurance for if Higgy's injured or Sanchez is injured or something like that? Yeah, it's a thousand percent insurance. Like these guys are going to be down in the minor leagues uh, and working in spring training, helping. And I, I would assume. I don't even know if both of them are going to be down there, but they will. It's it's absolutely insurance for in case Higgy doesn't work out or if there's an injury. You have a guy that knows what he's doing and can handle a staff. So I think that it's good for for them in AAA to have a veteran guy like this, uh, and and you know able to to work with the uh, the younger guys and you know help them out as much as they can. It's kind of like another coach being on the field in AAA. So it's all positive. I think I think it's a it's a good idea to do this. Um, I was listening to an interview with Eric Kratz on, uh, on Sirius radio, on uh, MLB or whatever. And, uh, he's just, you know, he's one of those guys that he understands where he is in his career. And he knows that he is that kind of, that, that backup quarterback, you know, that's, that's really just trying to help out the young kid. And, and if you're there for emergency situations, he's like, you know, the Vinny Testaverde that was there forever with the, with the Jets, even though Vinny was the man and awesome when he came in, <laughs> but he was there, he was there as, as a guy to, to, to help out. And, uh, and, you know, to, to be a, a tutor and, and to make sure that these guys are, are, you know, the whether there's a young catcher underneath them to help them out, but more essentially to help out the young pitchers. I think it's uh, it's very big for development. I mean, Ionetta was in the majors though the last two years. I'm surprised he's taking a deal like this. I don't know. Oh, I don't is he know. Thirty seven. Yeah, he's in his late thirties. I don't know his, his the market for Ionetta. It's obviously not a lot, but yeah, when you have an aging catcher that's not productive much anymore, then yeah, you're you're, you're going to be. He had uh, an 82 OPS plus with two seasons in Colorado, so and the juice ball, so not not good, no bueno. But he could receive the ball. That's what's important. You guys ever seen an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they're not supposed to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt that actually is designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size, your shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. I gotta tell you, one of my pet peeves is shirts that are too long and you try to you try to tuck it in and then pull it out a little bit. It's awkward. It looks bad. It's not a good look. I like these shirts because they are tailored beautifully and they look good tucked out. And that's a more casual look. That's the way I like to be. You can choose the styles from wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use. They even have an entire page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for that perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, 
relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. We have some juicy sign-stealing scandal updates. The Athletic posted another 5,000-word article about the topic. And this time it's about the Red Sox, so obviously Yankees fans just lost their shit and started dunking all over Red Sox fans. I'm going to quickly summarize what's going on here, and then we can talk about it. So the 2018, there was three players, three anonymous players with the 2018 team, might not be just players, people with the 2018 Red Sox team, said the Red Sox used the video replay room to figure out catcher sequencing, sequencing signs, just like the Astros did. And what they would do is take that information to the dugout, discuss it amongst teammates, and then when a base runner would reach second base, he would be able to more quickly decipher the signs and relay those to the batter through traditional methods of touching a helmet, putting a hand on his hip, putting a foot on a bag, all the stuff that we already know goes on. And that's how they used the video replay room to steal signs. And the Red Sox now are being investigated. So, I mean, they were doing it much more smartly than the Astros were doing it, frankly. Well, honestly, so when I first heard this, I was like, okay, how many teams are not doing this? That's, that's, that was my first, that was my first yep. instinct, my first, very first instinct. How many teams are not doing this? Because I guarantee a lot of them are. And the thing is, is what makes the Astros so very, very different and I know in the article they talk about cheating and then cheating, cheating, where you're, you're looking at like, well, one guy's doing this, but this guy's doing this. Yeah. And it, there is a clear distinction. And, and the, for me, the biggest distinction is, is the timing. One is in real time. The other one is not in real time. And I understand that they have a, an, a, 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 a distinct advantage going out to um, a bag with information. Right, they're not having to decipher something or look look at something while they're on the uh, while well, they're on the bag. They, they know the information. Are, well, they they know what to look for. It's based what the what the Red Sox are doing. I'm gonna okay. This is the analogy. What the Astros were doing is they got the answers to all the tests to the test. Every answer they got it in real time. What the Red Sox had is okay. Here's a hundred answers, and we're gonna ask you fifty of these questions. It might be one of these, so you're gonna more quickly figure it out because they still had to go out there and see what signs were being put down and then remember what the sequencing was that they saw on the video and then in real time relay that to the batter so they also like had to be there they, they had, had to be there they had cheat notes but they didn't have the answers to the test right but but that's like having the it's like having the cheat notes um but then you know sometimes not sh- not showing up on time for the test because you have to be on second base right you have to get on base in order to yeah so this. you say 50 out of 100, it's not even that much. But the thing is, is a lot of times when a game, first of all, if a guy doesn't change their signs after um, a start, let's just say a, a start from a previous game, right? And they're looking at video because everybody does that and try to pick up different things and what the guys did, different sequences, what they're doing. That's on them, right? That's on the that's on the pitcher for not changing his stuff up because the the um, obviously there's minions going to find out what uh, what you're doing with video after the game and such. You know, this is this is very similar in the sense it's the same technology, it's the same process, but what it's doing now is is it's getting to them a little bit quicker. It's getting to them in game, and now these guys when they're on second base, they do have to view it. They have to be able to see what it is. They have to um, 
you know, I'm sure there's a few of them where they're testing, making sure that that's, that their that their system is correct. And then once they realize that it is, you know, they do the the one foot on second base, looking out in the outfield or whatever the hell it is. Very dis, very very lower key uh, tells that are harder to pick up, I think, from an opposing team. Well, so, that's how you relay signs when you just figure it out on the field. That's what you do to relay. Yes. Signs. Yes, but I think you're now in an opportunity where you could do you, everything's planned out. That's a little bit I don't know, just a little bit more subtle. I think it's probably yeah, harder. So to I think you and I are going to be in agreement on this. The Red Sox are definitely exploiting the video replay room, which a yes. lot of teams probably are, and that's against the rules. So technically, that's cheating. But this is not even in the realm of what the Astros were doing. Right. No, it's I, I for the this list didn't of the, upset me that the Red Sox were doing this. It upset me that the what the Astros were doing. This, it was egregious. This did not upset me because what the I, Astros were doing was was one of the most cocky forms of blatant cheating in everybody's face that I could possibly think of. I mean, it's it's so egregious and so goddamn arrogant that it's it's almost it's you think of a the type of person that would be that would be as as arrogant as that to to think that nobody's going to figure that out because what they're doing is 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 downright juvenile. They're banging a trash can. Oh, no one would have figured out the Red Sox were doing this unless they had sources tell them. Right. Oh, I was there and we did this because there's no possible way you would be able to figure out what they were doing. What the Astros were doing was was they were cheating in real time from it it doesn't matter what the it doesn't matter what the situation was in the field because you don't have to have runners on base to know what's coming if there's a camera watching it from the eye in the sky at all times. That is insane to me. This, honestly, if I'm being very clear and honest with it, it's within my expectations of what teams were doing. Yes, already. The in when you are, have the when you have that room of cheating. When you have that room right there, that's, that's that a problem. Freaking close. That's I don't know why it's there in the first place. It's, it when should it's that be. Close, it should be removed. And I think MLB needs to address that. They've tried to address it with these in in stadium monitors but even that didn't work last year the article talked about how these guys would just leave their posts for innings at a time yeah. or they could be bought which right. they were right so there are degrees of cheating though the astros they cheated on their spouse and then they had another family Barto- like bartolo cologne the red sox maybe had an inappropriate text conversation with someone like there's degrees here i hope leanne never listens to this segment but but there are degrees here and yeah the red sox are being investigated maybe they're doing more than what this article talked about but there's some quotes in here and i and i really think they're telling um the quote about the deer so the player on the red sox was quoted it's really hard for anybody to get away with it at that point. If you've got a lion and a deer, then the lion can really take advantage of the deer. So there are a lot of deer out there that weren't paying attention throughout the season in the playoffs. Now you're going against a lion. So he, basically they're justifying it with, we know other teams are doing this because they have this technology too. It's in every stadium 10 feet from every dugout. So are we going to be a lion or a deer? That's the question you have to ask. So there's 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 a pretty interesting comparison here because when you say it like that, when you say it in that analogy, and when you start thinking about what that analogy means, it's everybody else is doing it. So if you want to keep up with the Joneses, you got to do it too. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what steroids was. Yes, it's exactly what steroids. Jose was. Canseco, for as much of a freaking moron he is, in his book he said his best estimate is that eighty to ninety percent of players in Major League Baseball were doing some form of performance enhancing drug during that era. Okay, I don't think he's that exaggerating that much. 
So I'm gonna go. He's with, become the most trustworthy guy in that whole in that whole. Debacle. If I had to guess, eighty to ninety percent of Major League Baseball teams were abusing the technology that was put in place in 2014 for the instant replace. In some form or capacity, yes. in some shape, not or way, to the yeah. maybe not to the degree the Astros were doing it, but they were oh. doing something quote unquote against the rule book. Yeah, no, I, w- I would uh, I would be very surprised if we didn't see the majority of teams that that had some type of, um, you know, some type of uh, of nick against against them for for doing something that's quote illegal based on the the guidelines set by MLB. The guidelines because- were set in 2014 when they put the instant replay challenges. Uh, became a thing they put replay rooms where you could have a guy who would look at these replays and then yell down the hall to the manager hey challenge it (laughs) right that's the system they decided to to go with okay so now a player just struck out and he's like damn like i wasn't expecting the curveball there on that pitch let me let me walk down the hall and take a look at this oh wow high def live feed of oh the catcher just put down a three a two then a one Oh, oh, what? and then he threw the curveball. Okay, let me figure out this sequencing. Hey, 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 teammate, guess what I just figured out? Of course that's going to happen. How did MLB not know this was going to happen? So It side baffles note. me. Side note, when I was in, um, whenever they taught reproductive health in, in school, what is that? It's like, it's in high school, right? Freshman year, something like that, whatever it is. My, uh, my health teacher, who was the basketball coach, Jim Stroker at, uh, at Ridgewood High, <laughs> the way that he would talk about this is he would open the door to the classroom and scream down the hallways, uh, fallopian tubes, here come the eggs, to anybody who's in the hallway, just scream at the top of his lungs down there. So that's what that made me think of. That guy, but, would, um, that guy would not fly in today's society. <laughs> no, he was a bit of a loon. It was awesome, though. I re- I'll never forget it. Uh, so, yeah, so you it's, got it's a gym teacher things. yelling down the hallway, hey, yeah. hey, Boone, challenge it. He took these his are foot tactics. off second base. These are, these are tried and true tactics from old school. Yeah, these, these, these exist. But, so I mean, they I, put the technology there and they're like dangling. It's like dangling it a is, piece boys. of meat. Here in, it is. It's dangling a raw porterhouse in front of a hungry dog. It's just one of those things where you're looking at, and we, when you start comparing that, and you make those comparisons to the steroids and the era, um, and, and how that has dramatically, and, and you can identify players. I think the difference being is it's an individual decision for players versus now. This is probably an organizational decision. This is something that's that's coming from the top down. Where if you're a player, it's coming to you. You're not making a choice to 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 do this. This information is coming to you, so you can either use it. Or not use it, even though you hear it, you cannot use it. So I think there's a very glaring difference when you're talking about um, the two things, where one's a, a very individual decision for for cheating, and this one's more uh, on the on the higher level. But if you look at them, they're similar in nature, in the sense that you know it's wrong, but if you're not doing it, everybody else is doing that wrong thing, and they're going to have a significant advantage against you. And yeah. in this case, your team not your individual person. Well, there was some quotes in the article, in the athletic article, that said one of the quotes was an executive was quoted in saying players would come to a new team and then say, hey, you effing morons, you're not doing this? Right. What's wrong with you? Look, it's right here. Everybody's doing it. I have the answers to it. the test right Everybody's here. Everybody's doing it. And, and the Yankees, it was... Um, Cited in the article, as far back as 2015, the Yankees used the video replay room to learn other teams' sign sequences. Multiple sources told The Athletic. Okay. 
So it doesn't say that they were doing it after 2017, which is when they got a little slap on the wrist for inappropriately using the Yes Network cameras. That's when the Red Sox got a punishment for inappropriately using Apple Watches. Or not inappropriately. They were using Apple Watches, which is against the rules. You can't use technology. Technology in the dugout. So the Red Sox and the Yankees got in trouble. Manfred said, this is putting on notice to the rest of the league. We are cracking down on this. So we know you're doing something, but stop it. And no one stopped, obviously. And it was just the tip of the iceberg because meanwhile, in 2017, the Astros are slamming on trash cans and blowing whistles from from behind home plate. So maybe the Yankees were good Samaritans. And then after their slap on the wrist, they said, guys, shut the replay room down. We're no longer doing this. We're going to follow the rules. I hope they did that. But I'm not naive enough to think they did that. Because are the Yankees a lion or a deer, Scott? Well, I'd say that they're a lion, Andrew. Yes, they're a lion. And I wouldn't <laughs> want them to be a deer. The, yeah. And, and the other thing you, you think about, too, like just think about the actual methods of, of, of um, breaking down video and looking for said signs. These are things that these guys did anyway. They're like, these, this happened. Again, like I said before. It happened post-game. It happened afterwards. Yeah. But I guarantee they had film guys looking through. So it's not like the practice of doing this was foreign to them. They knew how to do it. They knew what to look for. They knew how to zoom in. How, do you, all, think, just, how do you think players figure that, out the guys a pitcher is tipping? Do you, do you, how do you think you figure out tipping? Your it's, eyes, duh. It, no, Your but eyes. it's watching the guy on video. Right? What are you talking about? It's at the, well, no, because in-game a lot of time, there, there are definitely but how tells do you, that people see. No, right. But how do you know going into a game a guy has been tipping his pitches? It's because you've watched his last 10 starts. And sure. you notice that when Luis Severino has a runner on second base and he turns around and moves his head towards third base, he's throwing an off-speed pitch. You don't figure that out on the fly. You figure you, that out by pouring figure, over thousands of uh, you can, pitches in video. There are certain tells that you can figure out in-game, and I think that does happen. Because some guys are just better at others than uh, for picking up things like that. And, I mean, that is the old way to do it. But, yes, they're looking at video because they are allowed to. They look at video. It's on television. It's on now every device possible, the highlights. Like, you don't have to go far. Not to mention they have, you know, way more, way more access to um, different video than everybody else does. So there's, there's just a, a plethora of video for them to watch afterwards. So this is just the practice of doing it in-game. And that's the, and that's the part MLB wanted to avoid. That's why they said you can't use the replay room to view video during the game. Because if you can, most 99% of the time, uh, teams change their sign sequencing from start to start and game to game. So just because the uh, team X was doing this sign sequence on Friday, they're going to be using a different sequence on Saturday. So you can analyze the video post game all you want, but it's not going to help you for Saturday. But if you can figure it out in the fifth inning on Friday, well then guess what? Now you have an advantage. And that's what MLB wanted to avoid. And they clearly opened up Pandora's box by putting these replay rooms just a few feet from the dugout. So the question is, how do you fix it? Because they implemented these in-person MLB regulated people to sit in the video room to monitor it, to make sure there's nothing shady going on. But these guys were being bought. They were just looking the other way. They were leaving for innings at a time. Felt uncomfortable being intimidated. Like yeah. There's a number of things that can happen. So that's not going to fix it. You're going to lock the door? What do what you door? do? 
<laughs> a, do- a there- door to the if there's a door you're gonna put a a locked door on the room so no, no one can go in and out during the game. You know, I, there's I only s- one way to fix it. I, yeah, go ahead because I saw I already saw what you put in the notes, and there's just to me it's the most clear and obvious thing, and it you, goes way beyond what we're talking about. So the reason these rooms are there is because there's now manager challenges. So what you do is you take the manager challenge away because it's stupid anyway, and you remove these rooms from down the hall from the dugout. You do one of two things: you put one of them in the stadium somewhere neither player from any team can get to, and you have an umpire or somebody else that MLB has deemed responsible enough to sit there, and if a call is missed, they radio down to the umpires and say, hey, morons, the guy's foot was off the bag, you gotta fix it, or it all happens in Chelsea, in MLB headquarters, and there's a whole team of people looking at every game for the night (laughs) on instant replay, everyone's assigned to a different game, and if an umpire messes up, they get a signal from headquarters saying, hey, morons, you missed it, fix it. None of this, hey, hey, Bob, down the hall, did he take his foot off the bag? Yeah, Boone, he took his foot off the bag. Meanwhile, Boone's sitting there with his friggin' hand up. Hey, don't play yet, don't Stalling play Stalling the game. I'm gonna stall the game. Okay, no, I guess, I guess he didn't take his foot off the bag. You guys can go ahead. It's so stupid. I don't understand. So football has this thing now where they challenge every single scoring play. It happens very fast. It happens... Uh, in real time, there's nobody on the field doing anything. It's all coming from a place in the sky. It doesn't matter where it is, yeah. but it's in the sky. It's technology. It's telling them what to do, right? There's some nerd in a room looking at it. Or it doesn't even have to be a nerd. Could be, could be somebody that actually it's knows what they're talking with, it's about. someone with common sense. Like, <laughs> ideally, it's someone with common sense. Well, nerds have common sense and they do they know what they're talking about. That didn't come out right. But nerds are people too. The thing is, is if you do have somebody on this... And there's a, a a play that's close. Why not just confirm it? Right. Confirm it. Yeah. It's not that the peop, the personnel I gotta believe is already there. And what are you doing? Adding a couple people. They make enough money. Add some people. Add some people in a room. Make it a call center. Make it like you know, like you're calling like a wherever for customer service. You have a call center, and what you're doing now is you're confirming the the outs. Obviously, some of them don't really need to be confirmed because they're so clear as day the majority of outs are like that but when there's some kind of close call remotely close just confirm it and while we're at it can we stop challenging if the guy slid into second base and was so obviously safe but the guy kept the tag on and he may have raised his cleat a millimeter can we stop challenging those because that's that's not the guy was safe but he just happened to take his foot off the bag and i don't want to spend four minutes looking at a replay to see if he took his foot off the bag for a split second so let's just use common sense on what to challenge and what not to challenge. Was the ball fair? Was the ball foul? Was the ball caught? Did it hit the ground? Was the guy safe at first base or second base or whatever? Not, did he take his foot off the bag? So it's, it's, it's a lot of these things they can change, and I think it helps fix this particular cheating problem. There's going to be other cheating problems. It doesn't fix all cheating problems, but it fixes this cheating problem. That is why cheating exists. People try to get in front of and ahead of systems. And that's what they're doing. They see something, they see a, a place to be exploited, an area to be exploited to gain an advantage, cheating. And that will always happen. No matter how you change it, there will be other ways to exploit. And people will find them. Teams will find them. Players will find them. So you just need to, uh, you know, as far as baseball goes, keep up with the Joneses and keep up with the cheating, uh, the, the waves of cheating so that you can actually 
And these aren't even difficult. No, these it, are not it, difficult. It, I'm getting so to do. mad because it seems like such an easy fix. It is an easy fix. It, but why does MLB? Other sports are currently doing it. Why do when they drag their feet on this kind of thing? Yeah. Like I don't seriously, know. why? So they implemented this in 2014. Here we are, seven years later, and it's still happening. It's one of those things, man. It's one of those things where um, baseball is just slow to move. <laughs> it's always been that way. I don't know how. Well, I don't know how you're ever gonna make baseball fast, uh, a fast-moving uh, sport that actually brings on new te- technologies in a, in a in a timely fashion. Um, but it seems like uh, it's just like moving the Titanic for a long time. So big ships. The Astros' punishments are reportedly going to come down any day now, and they're going to be severe. So the MLB has an opportunity to use this as a moment to not only punish the Astros severely, but say this cheating can no longer happen, not because we punish them severely, but because we're taking away the opportunity to cheat with it. It's an easy thing to do. Punish the Astros severely, take away their draft picks, fine them, uh, suspend Hinch, suspend players, suspend Cora because obviously they're not going to suspend players. They've already talked about that. They're going to suspend the guys who are in charge of things. Okay, which, so sus- which I agree with. Suspend Cora because clearly he had a heavy hand in both of these. He was the yeah. the bench coach for one and the manager for another. Maybe fine or suspend Carlos Beltran because I know he was a player at the time, so maybe he's not going to get anything. Come down as harsh as you possibly can, but then take away the opportunity to cheat because it's still going to happen. So the only the only um, thing that is is uh, you know giving me a little bit of of hope I should say hope is probably not the right word but maybe it is uh, that the Red Sox actually did more than this is Alex Cora. I mean he's clearly the guy what? that was the the reason it was happening. I mean yeah he's maybe the guy he looked that came at the Astros system and was like they're going to get caught any day now. We got to be smarter about it. And frankly they were smarter about it. Or they were smarter about it, and there's still there's still other things that haven't been talked about yet. Possible, Maybe. yeah. That's 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 oh, the other I'm, thing about the Red Sox that could be there could be more uh, of a fire with what's already come out. But I'm worried about been the a lot next of shoe to drop, and I'm worried it's going to be something even more tied to the Yankees because I know the headline had the Red Sox in it, but the Yankees were mentioned in that article like every other paragraph. Yeah. We'll see, man. It's it's just one of those things. Like, I'll, I mean, I I will certainly condemn the Yankees if it comes out that they did that first. It's, it's not like uh, just because it's a team I root for, uh, I'm gonna turn a blind eye to it. It's not it's not that at all. Uh, you know, I don't want anybody to be doing this because what it does is it hurts the game. And at this point, I just want a fun game, a clean game, people to play and and have some fair competition. If you don't have competition at the at the highest level. Uh, that's fair and gives everybody an opportunity. That's when you got problems with sports. That's why Lance Armstrong became the the freaking poster boy for, um, you know, basically ruining a sport. You have a guy that's playing with different set of rules than everybody else, a team that's playing with a different set of rules for everybody else. Now you're looking at a sport that's at the highest level with athletes who are at the, the best of their abilities, the highest level athletes, and you're giving other people a, a distinct advantage in um, calculated ways that have nothing to do with what their abilities say on the field. And that's a problem. And that's a problem for any sport. So I saw a report that MLB is going to look into possibly implementing more on-field technology to help players be able to relay signs so electronically. So between a pitcher and a catcher or between a manager and a player or a, uh, a coach, it's going to be some sort of sign sequencing with electronics 
or some sort of random num number generator with electronics. Some way so it would be harder for teams to decipher. <laughs> but to me, that just opens up more possibilities to yeah, cheat. Yeah, you're giving them more technology. More technology to cheat. Just take away the technology you, you gave them already and you fix it. So, I don't know. Um, it's not even taking away the technology. It's just adjusting the technology right, to You're a still going to have replays. Yeah. Just the technology is still, is still there. You're just implementing it in a different way. Right. Just pivot, man. Just pivot. <laughs> pivot. <laughs> All right. Let's move to mailbags. <clears throat> First up, Andrew C. He's a frequent submitter of mailbags. If the Yankees go on to win 100 games and cruise to the playoffs, do you guys see baseball industry giving Aaron Boone less credit as a coach and in-game manager this season as opposed to last year? Due to the big acquisition of Garrett Cole and the presumption of better health throughout the team, fingers crossed on that one, the next man up theme may not be needed, and I can see baseball experts downplaying Boone's impact as a motivator and a leader. So as the Yankees are getting better, Boone's getting less and less credit, and I think that happens with any manager in baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a real thing, and if he were to win manager of the year, uh, it pretty, basically, if he was going to win manager of the year in any year of his career, it was last year. Yep. And he didn't win it. So I wouldn't expect him to win unless you're looking around the league and you're just not seeing anybody that's uh, a candidate. Then, then in fact, it'll probably go to the best team and whoever leads that team. So there are certain circumstances that, that he will get, you know, an award for it. But I do think that last year was one of those years that he, sh he deserved it and actually should have gotten it. But yes, now they're a better team, less that he needs to do another year under the belt with these guys and Another year under the belt for him. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's Andrew's, Andrew's uh, mailbag's pretty, pretty on point. Torrey won it twice in 96 and 98. 96, unexpected team, goes on to the playoffs and ends up winning, winning a championship. 1998, the best team of all time. Right. So maybe if the Yankees win 125 regular season games this year, Boone will win it. But if yeah. they just win 103 or 105, win the division, go to the playoffs, he's not going to win it. Right. No, he would have to do something uh, extra extraordinary for, for him to win it. And... And um, I don't really care, but I do yeah. think Boone, I think Boone f f took a lot of good steps forward in his second year as manager. Absolutely. I think he, you know, I, I think year one, people were critical of him in certain ways, but I do think that, you know, it was a big year for him to figure out his, his players and figure out his style and, and what he's going to do with in certain situations. And then now, now you have year two. You got a lot more, you know, muscle memory. You have a lot of, a lot more situations already in your head. I mean, the the experience from one year in the big league, sitting on that bench making those decisions, is is priceless. I don't care how many people you ask. I don't care how many times you were in the dugout as a kid, and, and how many other, you know, uh, dugouts you've been in as a player. It's not the same when you're actually calling the shots and having those conversations in game, making those decisions in game. It's different. And yeah, one year under the belt makes a world of difference. And I think it's just um, now tw him tweaking his style. All right, next up is from Josh. Last episode, you guys said Glaber has the best chance to win the MVP award on the team. Does this mean he has taken over as the best, most important player from Judge? So this is an interesting conversation, actually. I was just thinking about this when we were talking about or when we were setting up the, uh, you know, the Judge arbitration talks because in theory, you could actually look at, and, and Judge is still the face of this team. There's, there's no doubt about it, but Glaber ain't far behind. And yeah. now that now that DD has carved a uh, has left town and there's a spot carved out for Glaber and it's a 
it's a, it's a good spot. It's the shortstop spot of the New York Yankees, like the spot. I'd say shortstop and center field of the New York Yankees are two of those positions that are just like limelight follows those spots. Uh, if you're a superstar player, you play for the New York Yankees and you're a center fielder or you're a shortstop, chances are you're going to be a very high-profile guy if you're, if you're playing well. So Glaber, with the, with the youth behind him, with the ability that he has behind him, with his likabilities, just, just a lot of things that, that really do push him into that spot. Um, and uh, best chance to uh, put off track with like who he is, but but yeah, I, I think that it does take away from Judge a little bit, in, in the sense that he's becoming as important, and and I think that's a, a very real conversation. Well, I think best and most important can be different. Was be. was uh, Derek Jeter always the best player on the Yankees? No, no, but he was the leader. He was the captain. Yeah, he was the face of the team. Yep, and he was one of the best players on the team, and I think that's what we're going to have with judge like Glaber might be the most talented. He, he might put up better numbers next season. He might not. We said he has the best chance to win the MVP. I think I said it for a couple of reasons. One short stops. I think that can hit potentially 40 home runs, get a little bit of an extra edge than a right fielder who can hit 40 home runs. He will have better defense next year at shortstop than he did second base judge has missed time, so he's likely to miss time next year. Whereas Glaber, I know, not the most healthy, durable guy, but better chance to play 150 games than Judge. So there's going to be more pressure on him too to play. I think he's. We're going to see him. Um, you know, at that because he's now the starting shortstop. We're going to see. You know, that's a guy that you're not going to take out. And another year older, like your body's used to playing a longer season at this point. I think we're going to see him really become an everyday guy. You know, obviously, if he could stay on the field and not not be hurt. And and a couple of years ago, when we saw those injuries with the hip, um, and then he kind of tailed off towards the end. I think that was you know more of a fluky type thing. But um, yeah, he's got he's got, he's still got a lot to prove. There's no doubt about it. But he is definitely on the path to being uh, you know one of the the most productive players on this team. I liked that question too because he kind of like he kind of backed us into a corner. <laughs> yeah, but but it's also. It's it's just interesting because when you have, I mean theoretically you look around the around the uh, the team and you have Stanton, you have Judge, you have Gary Sanchez who could be all world again, uh, Glaber Torres, like you have these guys who are all prolific uh, players. They're all extremely uh, DJ Lemayhu who's not the type of like glitz and glamour guy by any means, but he is right there as far as production. Mm-hmm. So you have these guys that are the multiple multiple uh, players that are playing at such a high level. It's really hard to say which one is the most important or which one is the, you know, the best because they're all good for different reasons too. So um yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fun conversation because there's really not one good answer. There's a bunch of good answers. Yeah, you could play you could have the argument though that losing Glaber would be more detrimental to the 2020 Yankees than losing Judge because of who they have behind each of those players. Who's the shortstop if Glaber Torres goes down? Yeah. Right now it's Tyler Wade. Who's the right fielder if Aaron Judge? Or Tyro, it could be it could be Tyro, Tyro Estrada. Tyro Estrada might have an opportunity to step up and, and show what he's got. Yeah, the outfield has uh, some depth issues too because of injury, but you know, if Judge does go down and, and Stanton's on the field, he plays right field. Mm-hmm. So, um, in that sense, you could you could argue for for Glaber. you want your you want your start, your starting shortstop to be a mainstay in the lineup. There's no doubt mm-hmm. about it. And, and uh, yeah, so it's it's a it's a highly pivotal place for him to be. I mean, shit, DJ LeMay, who could walk over to shortstop and play Gold Glove. <laughs> I have no doubt. All right, next up is from Yehuda Kirschenbaum. Do you think the Nationals are a good and logical trade partner for Miggy? 
If so, who are the targets in their organization? So, Duhar. Obviously, the Nats lost Rendon. He was their third baseman, so they do have an opening <laughs> at third base, and they have replaced Rendon with a bunch of infielders. Cabrera, Castro, Thames, Kendrick have all signed with the uh, signed or re-signed with the Nationals this winter. So they're going to go, I guess, third baseman by committee. <laughs> um, they, I, don't they have a kid too coming up? I thought they had a, a young guy too that was uh, that was ready to take a leap as well. I'm not familiar with. It's their... funny because Starling Castro was one of the when he was on this team, and we were very excited about him. And we're looking at uh, we were looking at you know what was going to happen and who was going to move around and when they got um, or when they had people to play at second base. We looked at, at Castro, and I know I remember saying this was that you know he played shortstop, he played second base, like he could. I could definitely see him playing third base. He's got, he's got that the body. He's got the ass for third base to to get over there, and he's got the fielding ability uh, to get over there and uh, and play some third base. So I wouldn't be surprised if he went over there. Yeah, he's I, like still surprisingly not old because he was up when he was twelve with the yeah. uh, Cubs. And I know he's on like hit pace is up there with the all time leaders as for like games or age because he's played so many games. And I just find it funny that Starling Castro is a free agent and he's signing like garbage contracts for one year with the Nationals. Whereas if Starling Castro at 29 years old, which is what he is, became a free agent (laughs) and he had 1,600 hits, which is what he has. If he was a free agent in like 1997, he'd sign like a $150 million contract. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's he's an interesting. Did he finish the season with the Marlins last year? Did he finish the season, I or was he hurt? Or, I think so. I don't. Know. I don't know what the hell happened down there, but um, he was lost uh, track of him once he was no longer with. Yeah, the man, it was sad. That's still why we play the the song underneath um, the the Omega song underneath the voicemails when we do voicemails. That was Starling Castro's walk up song when he was with the Cubs. Yeah, and I was just very hopeful that he was going to bring that over, and the whole stadium we were was so go nuts desperate for like anything at that <laughs> energy. Point. Yeah. I was like really hoping it was going to be that. That's sick so of watching Chase Headley go to the plate. It's stuck ever since. Is it realistic that Andujar gets traded to an NL team? Yeah, I think it's realistic. I think it's, I think it's definitely realistic. I think that again, you know, we're making. I, I know he was not good when he played third base, but he was also a rookie. The guy was a rookie. Yeah, but he there was. He wasn't. Of cases, he wasn't just not good. There are there are plenty of cases where a guy that is when you're looking at why he was bad and you're looking at the footwork, that's fixable. You can fix those things. That's true. If he's able to go around and fix that footwork and be able to just have better approach. And again, we've said this a hundred times, be an average guy, then yeah, there's significant value there because the bat is so good. So yes, I think there's a, there's a maturation process for a player like Miggy and he could certainly be a better player. You know, it's like, as you get older with things, you buckle down and you start focusing on things a little bit different. I think, that uh, it could be, it could be this year. It could be anytime it clicks. He's got the ability to do it. That's for sure. So I don't see the Yankees trading Andujar right now. But if they were to, I would imagine it would be for a player they can use on the major league roster immediately, not someone that they are have to wait on prospect status wise. You agree? I don't know because there's just so many. There aren't very many spots where you could bring someone over and improve the team. That was for, for, a, for a guy like Miggy with that talent. Well, that's how I looked at it because Yehuda asked if, if so, who are the targets in their organization? And I was like looking at their major league team. It's like, well, who on this team would the Yankees want to acquire for Andujar? And it, nobody stood out to me. And I don't know anything about their organization, like minor league wise, to, to even throw out a guess 
as far as like what prospect the Yankees would ask for. Like, just go look <laughs> at their top ten prospects and ask for a couple of those. I guess I don't know, but uh, Adam Eaton kind of intrigued me. He's thirties. Why would you do that if you're the Washington Nationals when you have a, a, a team that just won the World Series um, and, and you have a guy like Adam Eaton who is a very good player, plays with that team well, and um, you don't know. like Yeah, I, I, I do believe that Andrew Hart could be uh, a better fielding third baseman, but you don't know that until it happens. No, I, I'm not saying they would. I, I guess if they loved Andrew Hart and said, this is our third baseman for the next decade, like let's take a chance at this now. But I don't know. He, he just intrigued me because he is 30 and he's had injuries recently, but he p- played healthy last year and he's reasonable salary for the next two years. So that intrigued me. And is a left-handed hitter outfield. Joe Ross is a buy low pitcher. He has regressed every year he's been in the majors, but he's only 26. Get, get yeah. Matt Blake and the team of nerds on him. Maybe they can improve him. I mean, Lucas Giolito was, was that guy. He, was, uh, he fell apart. He fell off the face of the planet after they traded. In, in fact, they traded him for Adam Eaton. He was the, the, the two, those two guys were centerpieces for that deal. And Giolito to, was good the White Sox. Year. And Giolito was nasty last year, but he had a very, very, uh, very f- big fall from grace. As He was the number one prospect in all of baseball before the trade happened. So when that yes, trade happened, I looked yes. at it, I was like, what, what are we doing here? They Why? got They just the traded the number Sox. one prospect in baseball who's a lefty pitcher. Or is he a right? No, he's, he's a, a right-handed pitcher. He's but a right-handed. But when but have you ever seen a team trade the number one prospect in baseball when it's a starting pitcher? Like you never see that happen. No, the last time I remember something like that happening, um, and I think he was a prospect at that time. Who was it? It was when Josh Hamilton was traded for. Um, oh, Castillo, right? Not, not Castillo. It's uh, this dude's still in the league though. I think he was with the Royals for a minute. He was with the Royals when they won the World Series. I think at the end. I can't think of his name. He was with Texas. Anyway, it was the Texas and the Cincinnati trade. And and uh, uh, what's his name? It's going to piss me off. I'm going to look But But he was, I think he was uh, one of the top prospects. I know exactly who you're younger talking guys. about. Yeah. I could see his face. I just can't think of his name. Uh, but that's the last time I can remember off the top of my head. You know, when uh, two big guys were traded. And and ha- Hamilton obviously had a, a lot of things that he was coming back from at that point. But... Man, that worked out pretty well for for them with Texas for a little bit. It worked out for both teams actually because the Reds got a they got a good pitcher. You still can't find his name? Yeah, it, it's loading. It's on Baseball Reference. It's it's loading. Um, so I don't know. I, I I just again I know I've said this a thousand times. I don't expect Edison Volquez. Edison Volquez. So no, not a C. Um, the. Uh, I don't see the Yankees trading in Duhard now. It just doesn't make sense, I don't think. But um. I think there's, again, we, we, we kind of mentioned this with him and Frazier last time we were doing 20 questions, is at this point when you're looking at it, unless somebody overvalues them and they get to a point where you, know, you think that um, the value is close to what you think that player should be, then it's not in Brian Cashman's best interest to do that. Uh, Clint Frazier can be in the minor leagues and play. And, and um, I mean... Miggy could too, theoretically. Like you could see them both, uh, you know, having time to to figure out their stuff, or at least figure out what kind of player they are at this point. And I think at that point, as long as they're not, you know, a shell of themselves, which I don't expect either one of them to be, then uh, then your value is significantly higher if you wait. The last question from Live for the Day on Twitter. Their handle is at DJ Bird M4N. 
It's crazy how the Yankees got Cole and then went radio silent. I know they don't have many holes to fill in the roster, but there's still work for this team to do, and they are sitting on their damn hands. It's not really a question, more of a statement. I turned it into a question, and I put out a Twitter poll. If the Yankees could make one more significant move, what would it be? I asked infield, outfield, starter, or bullpen. 44% of people said bullpen. That was the leader. 25% said starter. 18% said infield. 12% said outfield and uh, i also asked the bronx pinstripes team and they voted bullpen as well so you guys agree with twitter which i think is a little concerning (laughs) well i mean i think it's you know it's one of those answers that again you're looking around and you're seeing what could you acquire that will make you that much better and you know to me the only the only natural place that you could really just make a, a splash and still put the puzzle piece in with no issues is the bullpen. That's why and, I think you and, guys answered it. It's because it's the easiest quickly, before, place before to we add. do this r- real quick. Volquez was one of their top ro- uh, was one of their top prospects at that point, and he had only made six starts with the um, with the Rangers the year before. So it was a similar mm-hmm. similar trade in that sense. Um, yeah, good memory on that one. The uh, Flat flashes of memory come in my head occasionally. <laughs> yeah, you remember the thing. You just didn't remember all the details. It's fine. <laughs> So bullpen, you can add a bullpen piece and not have to take away. That's, yes. wh- that, that, that's why I get why people answered that. But whether the Yankees add another bullpen piece or not, they're going to have one of the best bullpens in baseball. All big five are coming back. Chapman, uh, Chapman, Britton, Ottavino, Canely, Green, all coming back. The Yankees had the second best bullpen according to War last year behind only the Rays, 7.6 war to 7.5 war. Essentially the same. Right. The Yankees are returning all their big guys. So they're going to have a Except great Except for Batances, who obviously wasn't on the, eight pitches. on the team. Yeah. So ha- I wanted the Yankees to bring back Batances because I do think that makes the bullpen that much better. And I think adding like Josh Hader makes the bullpen that much better. But am I going to trade away top prospects to get Josh Hader to add to already a strength of the team? I in a blog I wrote today I said it's like adding Nos to a Ferrari. It's fun, but you don't need to do it. Well, I mean that's the thing though. You, it's it's different because that guy could still play a very pivotal role in a big game. Sure. I mean, so when you're adding to other places, you you have to take a guy out, and now you're looking at what could have been if you kept that one guy in, or you know. But in in theory, now you're looking at uh, uh, if we're talking Josh Hader, let's just do it for conversation's sake. Yeah, Josh Hader. Or or who or you know a no, guy so that, that's, a, uh, that's not that big of a that's not a not a big name that is going to be fighting for the spot. No, so I said be... meaningful move. So ideally, it's someone that plays. But that's I, don't, the thing. I didn't have an answer. Where who are they it was. playing? So I, I said starter is where I would add, okay. and I understand the rotation for next year looks set: Cole, Severino, Paxton, Tanaka. Hap or Montgomery or Luis Sessa or Michael King or Jonathan Loisaga. Like, I get it. But, like, are they all going to stay healthy? Are they all going to people? Are they all going to be good? They currently have depth right now and they have guys under contract. J Hap's going to be the guy unless there's a complete implosion or they trade him. J Hap's probably going to be that guy. Jordan Montgomery probably going to start in AAA. That's what's going to happen, most likely. I mean, if you're looking at the tea leaves and what's happening right now and, and, and the, the roster as it's currently constructed, that's that's what it looks like is going to happen. Um, so there is depth. They have depth. Yeah. The problem is, this is the same thing a couple years ago when we're looking at a, tra- at a starter, at a starter, at a starter. If you're going after a high-leverage starter, then 
You gotta sit somebody. I'm okay with that as as planes fly over your house. Because the Yankees, I know the question was specifically for 2020, but I'm also thinking about 2021 when Tanaka and Paxton are not guaranteed to be on the team. Yeah, that's fair. And Hap won't be on the team because I don't expect them to let the option vest. So as we sit here today, the Yankees have two starting pitchers who they know will be in the rotation in 2021, Cole and Severino. All the others are not a sure thing. They might resign Tanaka. They might resign Paxton, Michael King, or... Montgomery Sessa is pretty or safe. Montgomery, Mo- Montgomery could all progress and they could all turn into great starters, but that's not a sure thing. Right. I mean, Montgomery, I think, is more of a sure thing in the sense that we've seen it already on the major league level. Yeah. I mean, he's been I, productive. If I'm betting, I'm saying he's in the rotation, but I'm, yeah. it's not for certain. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, look, you, you could do it. It's just you're going to have a, a, a lot of guys vying for a fifth spot and then you're paying a guy, Jay Hap, $17 million a year to do nothing. Yeah, and so maybe that doesn't make you're sense. Because you're going to make because you're then making him a reliever, and does that make you better? No, no. And I think the bullpen will also benefit from the better starting rotation. They're not going to have to throw a ton of innings this year because their rotation's better. I'm going to say a crazy thing here, and, and I don't know why people aren't really looking at this more honestly. If we're talking about the fifth starter, a number five starter, because that's what we're talking about, number five starter, not the number one, not the number two, not the number three, not even the number four, five. Fifth guy, last guy in the rotation, if that's not clear enough. I want that guy to eat innings, stay in a game. Doesn't have to be a gold glove or the gold glove. Doesn't have to be a Cy Young guy. Doesn't have to be a guy that that is going to be, um, you know, going out and dominating teams. I need a guy to eat some innings to to give a little bit of a reprieve to so that the bullpen is not destroyed on that day, even though theoretically that's when you're going to use your bullpen most. I need that guy to get some innings. And to me, if I'm looking around at all these guys, the one guy that clearly stands out as that guy who could be an innings eater, veteran type present in the number five spot is Jay Happ. I don't know but why the, that's he's he, he's such an egregious pick to have as your number five starter because we got him as a number three starter. Yeah, now he's the number five. The beautiful thing though about the Yankees rotation for 2020 is that if they do need to have their rely on their bullpen for the fifth starter, they can because. Severino and Cole should be there to not have to do that. Quote Theoretically, unquote, knocking quote unquote, on wood. We'll see. Last we'll see. year, last we'll year, see though, if the nerds let them get through the seventh inning. Let's see if that happens. Well, last gonna, year, though, that's going to be, I can already tell you that that's going to be the one thing that's going to piss me off this year more than anything. Yeah. When Garrett Cole gets pulled in the sixth inning with, with 97, 97 pitches, 95 pitches, I'm going to oh lose God. my goddamn mind. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, last year, there was no Severino who should have been that guy. Paxton was a six-inning pitcher. Tanaka was a five, maybe six-inning pitcher. Hap, they wanted to get out of the game ASAP. <laughs> and they went with an opener the other parts of the game. And Herman was a five- or a six-inning guy. Everyone was a five- or a six-inning guy. Yeah. It's okay I, if it's two or three. Or even... Right. It's, it's okay if it's two or three of your pitchers. But if you have two times through the rotation, six-plus, seven-plus... That helps everybody. Yes, absolutely. That's why I like a veteran guy who made, you know, pretty drastic improvements in the second half of last year, like Jay Happ, going into this year as the fifth starter guy. Again, we have not seen diminished stuff. We saw him in diminished production, but, you know, I'll say it again. Like the 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 dude was much better in the second half. He made adjustments. We'll see if he can make those adjustments again. We'll see if those could stick. We'll see if the league hasn't made adjustments to him. We'll see if the ball is the same. We'll see all of these things. But it's not a bad spot to be in with Jay Happ as your number five guy. 
with all those other guys that you mentioned ready to pounce mm-hmm. if he sucks. Yeah. So I just want to mention some other replies we got from Twitter. So at Sean NYY three says Yankees were near the bottom of the league in infield DRS. So th- I, I guess he voted for infield and they were. So adding a defensive glove could help. Uh, at Cradley said, sign a defensive first infielder that can play shortstop and second base. That may be Wade, but a solid proven veteran can play both. Would be great. DJ is a solid glove at second base, and uh, he can play third and, fir- third and first, but really could use some depth at shortstop. But he said that might be just Wade, and I agree. Wade's one of the Wade's probably the best shortstop in the in the organization defensively. One of, if not the best. No, I'm more than confident that he can play a defensive shortstop in the major leagues. So if you're just percent. signing, you're, you're not going to find somebody better than, than if him. If you're right just now. signing a defensive infielder, well, then don't. You have Tyler Wade. Yes. At the great one two one four two says Puig. <laughs> That'd be okay. wild. Um, at Moniz Brian NYY lefty in the lineup could help. Uh, at 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 H A T A C H seven seven. I know everyone's going to say bullpen, but if we get a free wish, it has to be another solid starter. So I'm, I'm, I'm with him. Last one, at Eric Pepper. Do we need anyone? Maybe just use the money to create an extra gate for fans to get into the stadium on time. <laughs> That's the best answer. That's the best answer. That is the best answer. It does not you... matter if you go to a Tuesday night game, but when you go to a playoff game, yes, it does matter. That's hilarious. That's a, that's a good answer. Now, yeah, let's open up another gate. That's fine. <laughs> Funnel us in in a different way. Please, can you hurt us better? <laughs> hurt us better. All right. Thanks to the mailbags, everyone. We are going to get into out of left field now. Find that out. Sanchez destroys that to left field. There it goes. Deep to left. Really deep. In the air to left field. Back at the track. At the wall. We are tied. I pissed on a public building. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Scott. Well, let me ask you a question. When is the cutoff for you for wishing people a happy new year? Um, I don't really have a hard cutoff. So what I do is it depends on when I see the person. Depends what time it is in, in the month, I'd say. If I'm, if I'm like past, the f- if I'm two weeks into the year, it's done. We're approaching me. that. So right now it's the 10th of the month, 10th of January. Yeah. And I, I've, I've already, I'm past my cutoff. Yeah. It depends. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of sick of saying it. I don't really have a hard, hard deadline, but I probably wouldn't say it to somebody right now. Like it said, you say I oh, said it I said when it I... to somebody yesterday, two days ago. Two days ago, I said it to somebody. You said it depends when I see them. So obviously, if yeah. you see them for the first time on the fourth, you're, you're probably going to say it. But if you see them for the first time on the fourteenth, you're probably not going to say it. No, I probably would not say it on the fourteenth. No. Yeah, because it's just something that because um this type of person it annoys me because like everyone you go back to work after the new year everyone's happy new year this happy new year that i had one guy say it to me twice at work did you say something to him i was so close to saying it to him <laughs> i was like Dude, yeah you, i mean you said you, happy new year last week you don't need to say it to me again <laughs> as he gets angry listen i know you're just trying to be nice but it annoys me listen Your kindness you, it, annoys me if you're trying to stop something you need to speak up about it. And, and that doesn't mean... No, just, I'm way too just, passive aggressive for that. That doesn't, yeah, that doesn't mean scream about it on a podcast. No, that's that how I vent. This is how I that, get my anger out. You need, you, need to stop, you need to stop these things in real life, out in, the, out in the wild, out in the jungle. If you see somebody doing something egregious like that, you need to end it. You can't be one of those guys that just looks the other way and then, and then goes uh, and gets behind your keyboard and gets mad. Would Don't you say guy. something? Would you say, hey, person, you know, thank you, but you know, you did say Happy New Year to me last week. 
Yes. You would and say that. You, oh, yeah. And I'll tell you why. I try to live my life. And I don't try to do it. This is a it, Seinfeld moment. Like, this it is just a your enthusiasm moment. Larry David is like, for whatever reason, I am very mentally aligned with him. These things piss me off. But so Larry yes, David's worth a billion something. dollars. He can say whatever the hell he wants. Larry he David can piss and Kirby whoever he wants off. It doesn't. He, he had. Do you think Larry David has any consideration for his bank account when he's saying any of these things? So he doesn't give a shit if he's the most powerful person on the planet. He's still gonna say it if he's the most. If he's homeless on the street, he's still gonna say it. That's just who he is. Have you heard you his can't quote? Change that. Have, it's it's one of my favorite Larry David quotes, and he said this a thousand times. But they have asked him. Is that really you yes. that you play on, on Curb Your Enthusiasm? Is that really you? He goes, it's the person I wish I was. Oh, because, but I've seen him do things. It's, a, it's an exaggerated well. version of himself. Yes. yes, it's him, but maybe he takes it a step farther than he would actually in society. Because we are living in a society, <laughs> Scott. We live in a society. So what I think sometimes is if, if I'm like characterizing what that character is and he says it's who he wants to be. I'd say it's Larry David's inner monologue. Mm-hmm. So yeah. everything that he does on the show, he definitely already thinks and is, oh, and, and is in his brain because obviously it came out in a script somewhere. This is a, this is a, a crazy man who has, has written all of these things. Like Jerry Seinfeld was riding the coattails of Larry David on the show Seinfeld. Jerry oh, Seinfeld, come on. That's not oh, yeah. fair. Oh, it's totally fair. Jerry, I love Jerry Seinfeld. Don't get me wrong. But if there's no Larry David, Seinfeld is not what we think it is today. Not even close. Okay, that's not fine. The but show. if there's no Seinfeld, then there's if there's no Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David doesn't have the opportunity to create the show either. Like you, you I can't guess. have it's, it's okay. Not, it's you're not, not going to like this comparison, but it's Brady Belichick. Everyone's saying like, oh, who's more important, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? I don't know the answer to that, but they're not where they are today without each other. Fine, but the thing is, is that Jerry Seinfeld, when you look at um, if you look at some of his old stand-up, we're not laughing at half that stuff. Okay, if we don't but, know who he is today. But stand-up is hard to go back. It's very stand-up in the is moment. what you. But it's also it's also, you know, at that point when I'm when I'm thinking what he was probably was a guy that was writing a, a lot of his own stuff. And yes, he did write a lot of the stuff for Seinfeld as well. They were both in the same room, and I think that's a a dynamic that you can't. Um, you can't say one is better than the other because when you're in a room going off of somebody else's energy and you're you're you know you guys are making jokes together, like it, it probably doesn't come to fruition. Jokes don't land as well as unless you have both guys in the room. So I get that. I totally get that. And I'm not really here to say that. But what I'm saying is is that the guy, the orchestrator, the puppet, the puppeteer, is Larry David. Larry you David may is have a genius. Just opened up a can of worms. Larry David's the genius behind that show. Too. It is. He is. It, I don't disagree with you, but I think you're also you're also not giving Jerry Seinfeld enough credit. Jerry Seinfeld gets a lot of credit. He's the guy that done it. But you know what? I, I, part of <laughs> what goes back to me, what it goes back to is that my mom used to have such a problem with this. She used to hate it all the time. And I never really had a big problem with it. But after she would pick it out all the time, I would always notice it. He's always laughing. He's always laughing, like not trying to laugh, but no, like it's just fake because laughter. it's fake laughter. No, no, no. no. There are certain lines that he says where he can't say it with a straight face because he's laughing. Kind of like a guy does on Saturday Night Live where he can't keep a straight face. And he oh, does you're it. talking specifically about his acting in the show. I thought you were yes. talking about him now as a person. No, I'm talking about his acting in the oh, show. Yeah. He's not so, a good actor. He's admitted that. Yeah, he would, he would laugh and, and, it would, and it would piss my mom off so much when, when he would do that. And I would, it would bother me when, when guys would do it on Saturday Night Live. Like, uh, what's his face? Would do, would do it all the time on Saturday Night Live. And I couldn't stand him. What's his the, face? Uh, I don't know. The late the, night. One the of late thousands night. guys. The late night host. 
on NBC. Jimmy Jimmy Fallon. Fallon. Yeah, Jimmy Fallon would laugh through sketches all the time. Jimmy Fallon would laugh through sketches all the time. And I could not stand Jimmy Fallon on Saturday Night Live because all he would do was Adam Sandler bits. He would just like live off of Adam Sandler's bits and it would piss me off because I was a big Sandler guy. Still am. Always a big Sandler guy. So I like him now actually as a, a host on The Tonight Show way better than I liked him on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so, so yeah, that. Okay, well, we got there from when to cut off wishing someone a happy new year. My, my cutoff, I think, is... So I cut it off after the first week back of work and it just so happened to be like January 3rd or 4th because the new year came on a Wednesday. I went back to work on Thursday and Friday. After Friday, I'm not wishing people a happy new year anymore. Here's what I can't wait for because this is going to happen. Oh, Andrew, I haven't seen you uh, in since the new year probably. Happy new year. And it's going to be like February 1 because <laughs> well, you're leaving for two weeks to go out of the country right now. So I I'm know also going to get a thousand people wishing me happy new year on Twitter after this, which is fine. But there are people definitely going to be doing this in real life because they hadn't seen you in the week afterwards and then you were gone for a long time. So I can't wait for those people to come up all like really excited to say it and like, oh, I haven't seen it. I can wish one more person a happy new year. And you're just going to get mad and you better say something. One of my favorite Francesa clips that uh, Funhouse account put out was there was like a call in like late March and the guy wishes Francesa a happy new year. And it like <laughs> takes Francesa like a second or two to register what he just said to him. He's like, wait, it's March. It's March. What are you doing? It's March. We're here. So talking about March madness. You wishing me a happy new year. So yeah. hilarious. February. No, definitely got to cut it off at, at least end of January. I'm, I'm just saying it's going to happen because of this situation. If someone I love it. I'm, wishes I'm me a happy really new year, happy if someone in person wishes me a happy new year after February, like February 1st or later, I will no, say something to them. Once you get back from your trip. Okay. That's essentially February 1st. Whatever that date is. Yes. Then, uh, then you need to say something and record it, please. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it. Any last words? I'm not going to be here for the next two episodes. In uh, th- We have a special episode. I'm going to tease it, not say what it is. We have a special episode that's going to come out on January 21st. It's already been recorded, and we have a very exciting set of videos that are coming out around then, too, um, about somebody who may or may not be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. So you can probably guess what, what it's about. Uh, but other than that, Scott, you're going to have a different co-host on for the next couple weeks. Yep. I will man the ship. We will not burn it down. We will, we will continue on and, uh, have a good time in, uh, in New Zealand, right? New Zealand. New Zealand. Hopefully there's no, uh, disruptions. I don't know what, I know those wildfires out in Australia are pretty bad and I know they're neighbors. So hopefully, uh, yeah, there was a crazy picture that I saw the other day taken from New Zealand in the North Island, and the sky is just orange, obviously, because of the fire. Scary, there, man. So. It's scary stuff out there. I just watched that Netflix thing on uh, California because I didn't I – didn't, I watched it because I didn't really grasp – I wanted to watch it because I don't think I, I, I definitely grasped like the um, how quick that stuff happens because you know we're not around it, uh, fires, like large forest fires like they have in California and apparently Australia. But man, that shit is, is absolutely crazy how fast it happens and how – you know, all of a sudden you're 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 good, and then like you know, a couple minutes later you are not good. Yeah, it's scary stuff that's happening in Australia right now. Yeah, every every region just deals with different things. Like we look at that, and it's and it's absolutely terrifying. Whereas someone in Calif- Southern California looks, and it's like Buffalo that one that one time got like seven feet of snow in a matter of like three days, and people were just buried in their houses. And they look at that, and they're like, oh my god. So yeah, yeah, a lot crazy. of different things. Wild well, have stuff. fun, man. Have a good time. Thank you. <laughs>
I'm sure I'll maybe I'll I'll tweet out a few pictures and stuff like that. So uh, make sure to to follow me. And uh, Scott, talk to you in a couple weeks. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.